He is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay. Um, yeah, this is, this is difficult. Every emotion that you are experiencing right now is real and valid. Okay? This morning, we are going to act like the Presbyterians that we are. That means we are going to experience the full range of emotions that comes from being human. From understanding the implications of the fall. Which we are dealing with right now. What I want to do is I want to start before I read scripture. I want to just read. Um, there is a book that is wonderful. Um, it is called Every Moment Holy. It is beyond amazing in what it covers. Here are some of the prayers within it. Prayer for domestic days, prayer for laundry, prayer for the preparation of a meal, prayed for the hurried preparation of a meal, prayer for waiters and waitresses, prayed for medical providers, prayer for fiction writers, prayer for those who work in stone and metal and clay, prayer for sunsets, prayer for leaving on a holiday, Prayer before consuming media. (laughs) Amen. Prayer for competitors. Prayer to mark the start of the Christmas season. Here's one that fathers will appreciate. Prayer for setting up the Christmas tree. Prayer for the morning of a medical procedure. Prayer for the anniversary of a loss. Prayer for a meal eaten eaten alone. Prayer for those feeling failure. Prayer for the loss of a child. Because God has said that all of our lives are acts of worship. We can have a liturgy for the loss of a child. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the first four days prayers So because death is not something that we experience momentarily, it's not an event in time that just stops and then we move on, the writers of Every Moment Holy decided to do 16 days of prayers for the death of a child. So I'm going to read them to you. I'm going to let you know where the day breaks are. Okay? Day one, this is the prayer. Oh God, my God, oh child, my child, sometimes there are no words. That's it. That's the prayer. The next day, it just says, silence is kept. That's it. On day three, which was yesterday, it says, Oh God who sees my suffering, I care little now what becomes of me when I prosper, whether I prosper or diminish. I only want to hold my child again. 
All of my life is being hammered thin upon the anvil of these hard questions. Why and what now? Why and what now? Silence is kept. Here is the liturgy for today. If I had seen the end from the beginning, oh, my child, I would have been more attentive. Student of your eyes, of the wandering play, uh, of sunlight on your skin, of every bell, of your laughter, of every rivulet, of your tears, I would have kept vigil in midnights to watch you as you slept, savoring the sound of every exhaled breath, leaning in to catch the pilgrim song your life was singing. I would have held you closer, longer, letting go these lesser cares of life, all the shallow clamor and demands that bear no urgency in retrospect, not when set against the brevity of our days or weighed against the wonder of your head reclined in sleep against my chest. You have left in my heart a hole as wide as the world, my child, as long as the rest of my life. Oh, Christ, how will you ever, how will this ever be made right? Oh, Christ, why do you tarry so long before you make this right? That is the prayer for today. Because the writers of every moment wholly understand that death is horrible. It is like a freight train of emotion. And the emotions change day to day. And God invites us to do all of those things without judgment. God is not like us in the sense that he is somehow offended by our response to things we don't understand. He says, bring it. I am here. So will you rise for the reading of God's word from John chapter 11? It's a long reading, so if you feel the need to sit, please, please do so. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister, sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of Man may be glorified in it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to his disciples, let us go to Judea again. The the disciples said, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. 
Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant that he was rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we may die with him. Now, when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know whatever you speak and whatever you ask God, he will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. And now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at her feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone was laid against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you would believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips in his face, wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for recording this for us. That it might soothe us. That it might 
guide and direct our disordered emotions right now that are all over the place because something horrible has happened. And so, Father, I thank you for your son. I thank you that your son speaks to you on behalf of those whom he loves and you answer and you do what he asks and that you raise the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. The, um, the last time that I was with you here, I gave you a quote from Leonard. Because the last time that I was here, we were celebrating Myra's wedding. It was a time of, as Leonard said, obnoxious joy. Weddings are about obnoxious joy. And we talked about the songs that go along with obnoxious joy. And I also shared that there are certain songs for some reason that we don't often sing at weddings that are about sorrow. And I shared some of the songs that are about sorrow that get played on the radio because people experience sorrow. Because in the course of six months, we can go from obnoxious joy to debilitating grief. And that's what this is. The death of a child or a sibling or a parent causes debilitating grief. Because something horrible has happened. Three or four months ago, the Baileys were experiencing the best week ever that ended in wonderful joy and a new member coming into the family. Now, the Baileys are experiencing the worst week ever. with a member of the family no longer here with them. Same family, just a few months. And so in the midst of sorrow produced by death, we need hope. In the midst of sorrow produced by death, we need hope. And that's what this passage is about. This passage is about Hope. It's about hope and it's about the way two different groups of people experience death. First, you have Mary and Martha and the community of the Jews that loved them. Because death causes us to respond. We have a response to death and this passage lays it out. First, every emotion that Mary and Martha and the Jews who were with them were experiencing was all based on love. You do not grieve something you do not care about. You, you grieve what you love when it is lost. And so every single emotion that Mary and Martha were experiencing started with love. Their brother, whom they loved, had died and they loved 
him. And then they go through all of these emotions, and I'm, I'm not going to go through the entire passage again, but what I am going to do is point to some of the various emotions that were being experienced. The first one, of course, is confusion and fear. They lived in the first century. We don't know what, what Lazarus was sick with because they didn't diagnose sicknesses back then. There weren't lab tests to run, but whatever this was, was the kind of sickness that Mary and Martha thought to themselves, this leads to death. This is not the cold. It's not the flu. It's not seasonal allergies. Whatever's going on with Lazarus, this is the kind of thing that we know leads to death most of the time. And so they had the experience based on love of confusion and fear and they're thinking to themselves, what are we going to do? We can't go to the doctor. We can't go to the pharmacy. There's no going to the emergency room. What are we going to do? Because they know that the worst possible outcome is a likely outcome. And so the only thing they could do, they did. Because in the middle of this confusion and fear, it's also mixed with hope. Right? They know a guy. They've seen a guy. They've seen and heard the things that this guy can do. So trying to avert disaster, they go to him. They say, go to Jesus. Let him know. Please let him know that something horrible we believe is coming our way. And he can intervene. I cannot imagine driving somewhere hoping to find just a car accident. Just an injured child. Or a child just stuck in traffic. Those things are all possible. But as parents, we think about what is the worst possible outcome here. We make phone calls, trying to track somebody down, trying to find out what has happened, hoping against hope, praying to Jesus that this thing that I think has possibly happened has not happened. This is not real. When we get there, it's not going to be as bad as I think it could possibly be. And they go to Jesus. They say, Jesus, please intervene. Do your thing. Only to find out that the worst possible thing is what has happened. That's what Mary and Martha experienced. They went to Jesus. They begged him to come, believing that he could avert the worst possible outcome. And it didn't happen. Lazarus died. And they're stuck. I mean, the reason they go to Jesus is because they know we can't do anything here. 
I can't fix this. I can't fix Lazarus. If I could, I would do it. What sister wouldn't? What brother wouldn't? What parent wouldn't? I'll fix it. I'll, if, I, if I could do something, I would do it. So go get the person who can do something about this. And there's hope, of course, because the sisters sent for him. So they're thinking, okay, well, we know a guy and we believe he can do a thing. And then they both say, hey, we know that whatever you ask, we know that whatever you ask, God will do it. And even they say, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God. They're not confused about who Jesus is at this moment. And so they go to him. And so we have love, we have confusion and fear, we have hopelessness and, and, and mixed with hope, and we have powerlessness. Sirens. Where are they going? Who is praying right now? What this passage shows in this part is that our love and our confusion and fear and our hope and our powerlessness are all part of being human. Because we're finite, we can't do anything. And after he dies, the grief comes. And it is overwhelming. Here's what it says in in the passage. It says... um, When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher here is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and she went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village. He was still at the place where Martha had met him. And when the Jews who were with her in the house, they were consoling her. They saw her rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep more there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. And when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. There is a lot of weeping going on. It's not just Mary and Martha. It's the community that knows them. Just like what is happening this morning. This doesn't just the death of Lazarus does not just affect Mary and Martha. It affects everybody who knew Lazarus. Just like the death of Alona impacts not just the Bailey families, but everyone who knew her and loved her. They're grieving. And in a time like this, the beauty and the purpose of the church is that the Baileys do not grieve alone. We join our grief to theirs. Right? We amplify the grief by stepping into it and say, I will grieve with you. I'm not just going to watch you grieve. I'm going to grieve with you. I'm going to lament with you because I also am grieved. I am sad. And the beauty of the church is that we don't grieve alone. We grieve together. We go all in on our grief. And we say this is devastating for all of us. Some of you watched Ilona grow up. This is devastating. And there is grief beyond measure. 
and they experienced it here. This is what the church is for. We are going to come together and we are going to love each other because we are all hurting. We are all hurting. And then there's a little bit of indignation going on here. Let's just be honest about that. That's a response to what has happened. Both Mary and Martha say the exact same thing. Hey, Jesus, we sent for you. We sent for you when he was still sick. We sent for you and you did not come. If you had been here, he would still be alive. He would not have died. I'm a little indignant right now because didn't, didn't, didn't I anoint you with oil? Didn't I, didn't I wash your feet with my, with my hair? I worshiped you. I served you. I followed you. I did what you, what you asked for. I said you were the son of God and this, this, you don't come. You don't intervene. You don't fix it. What is going on? I sent for you. If you'd been here, this wouldn't have happened. But I know that you can still fix it. I know, I know you can, you can still fix it. So let's not tread lightly on what's going on with Mary and Martha. Right? They're experiencing all the emotions. Powerlessness. Fear, confusion, hope, grief, indignation. Right? This is a person that they know is the Son of God, is the Christ, and their question is, why? Why didn't you do something? Because that's human. That's how we respond. If you question that, if you question the validity of that emotion, the holiness of that emotion, the appropriateness of that emotion, I challenge you to read the Psalms. Because the Psalms are about people bringing their full emotions and saying, what is going on? Why is it this way? Lord, come quickly and fix this mess. Because I am tired and I am beaten down. Your waves just wash over me. And I'm undone and I can't handle it anymore. Why do the, why do the wicked get what, get what I, I deserve? Why are they flourishing? Why are we not flourishing? It's all over in the Psalms. Real emotions experienced by God's people when something difficult happens. Here's the point. Earthly death does not pass over the people that Jesus loves. Earthly death does not pass over the people that Jesus loves. So that is how we as humans respond to death.
But that's not all this passage is about, is it? Because this passage is about how Jesus responds to death. And Jesus has many of the same emotions that Mary and Martha had, that we have. He just has them all differently. He has them all differently. Again, like Mary and Martha, everything that he does, everything that he experiences is because of love. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Even the Jews, when Jesus arrives, the Jews say, look at how he loved him. Love drives everything that Jesus does in response to death. Love drives everything that Jesus does in response to our suffering. Love drives everything that Jesus does for us. Love drives everything that Jesus does for us. He also experienced anger. Just exactly like Mary and Martha did, except he's not angry. You know, they're, they're kind of a little indignant at him. Like, why didn't you do this thing that I thought you could do and would do for me? Jesus is not indignant at somebody. He's indignant at death. He's furious with death. When it says deeply moved, and troubled in his spirit, it doesn't mean that he's like, oh, I'm so sad. What it means is he's furiously angry about the situation that has happened. He's absolutely indignant about what death has done. Because it's not a minor thing, it's the worst thing. And Jesus responds to it the way we respond to it. We're indignant about it. But Jesus is indignant at death. He experiences this emotion. What's beautiful about this is that Jesus, the author and perfecter of our salvation, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the firstborn of all creation, in whom all things hold together, When Mary and Martha come at him with, hey, if you'd have been here, this wouldn't have happened. He doesn't go, I'm sorry. Do you know who I am? No, they do know. And he knows they know. He just takes it in. And then he says, he'll rise. He'll rise. In the midst of his anger, Jesus is is still able to see and know because he doesn't experience emotions in the disordered way that we do. His The way that he experiences emotions is very ordered. He loves. He is indignant about death. And then it says this, shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. In a moment like this, where we are grieving with words that cannot be expressed, with debilitating grief, the thing that we know is that Jesus joins us in this emotion 
over death. He doesn't say, oh, I'm the supreme ruler of the universe. I don't experience death the way you do. Not sad. No, he wept. And everyone saw him do it. That must have been so confusing for them. I'm sorry. I'm trying to put together who you are in my head. I I believe that in 1600 years, we're going to develop doctrines of the sovereignty of God and, and election and foreknowledge and predestination and how God sovereignly rules over all things. And when God speaks, it happens and not one word comes back empty and God is ruling over all things at all times and all moments. Because we're Presbyterians and we believe all that. But here's the thing. There are two words in the Bible that you have to pull all of that theology about the sovereignty of God through. Jesus wept. If you cannot get your Reformed and Presbyterian theology about the sovereignty of God to go through the words, Jesus wept, then there is something wrong with your theology. Because Jesus wept. And he was indignant. That is the way that he experienced it. Oh, my notes. Yeah, it was a long morning. He also has hope. Jesus does. But his hope isn't, isn't commingled with confusion. It's not commingled with fear. It's just hope. He just has hope, pure hope. Here's what he says. He says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. So this is the moment, right? This is Jesus's moment. This is like when the the paralyzed guy is, is let down through the ceiling and they let him down and Jesus says, yeah, your sins are forgiven. And the people there are like, well, that's easy to say. Like, what's the proof? Right? What they don't understand is Jesus had just said something way, way harder than rise. He just basically, his sin, just, we're done. Your sins are forgiven. Only one person gets to do that. But then, so that they could all see the power that Jesus has, he says, oh yeah, and uh, you know, you should probably walk home. And he did. <laughs> and just like happens in this passage, the Jews' response is totally bizarre. Right? The guy walking, the former paralytic is walking down the street, and the Jews stop him, and they're like, hey, dude, where are you going? This is the Sabbath. One, you're not supposed to carry something. And two, you've already stepped more than you're supposed to step. So what's going on with that? His response is, yeah, it's this Jesus guy healed me. I'm sorry, we're going to his name? What was his name again? Where, where can we find him? Because this guy's in a lot of trouble. <laughs> and if you think that's bizarre, listen to what happens after Jesus does his healing. 
Many of the Jews who had therefore come with Mary and had seen what he had did believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered in the council and they said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take him away. Take away both our place and our nation. One of them, Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for his people, not that the whole nation shall perish. He did not say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but for also those to gather into one the children of God who were scattered abroad. So from that day forward, they made plans to put him to death. See, in in the middle of this passage, there's so much going on. The skeptics see it, and some of them believe. And some of the skeptics see it and say, this guy's got to go. He's got to die. And in the middle of it, Caiaphas, the high priest, says, hey, listen, let's not get involved. It's better than one man dies than all of this nation gets taken away from us. Yeah, because that's exactly what's going to happen. Because this whole event here that's happening with Lazarus is about God making good on his promise. And so Jesus experiences love. He experiences anger. He experiences grief. He experiences hope. And then Jesus has something that we don't. The power to do something about it. And like he said, he said, listen, I'm talking out loud here, Lord, Father. I'm talking out loud so that they can all hear what I'm saying so that they will see what's about to happen and they will believe. He doesn't have fear. Right? Initially, when he, when he is told this, he's like, yeah, let's go. What's the first thing the disciples say? Hey, maybe you forgot, but the Jews just tried to kill you there. We're going back? That seems insane. Are you asking to die? Are you begging to die? Are you planning to die? Jesus says, I'm not worried about them. I'm not concerned. Let's go. We're going to go. And in response to the question that he's asked, when, when they say, I, I believe that Lazarus will rise in the, re- in the resurrection, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection. I'm the resurrection in the life. That's why he's not afraid. He's the resurrection in the life. He's not afraid of anything. I remember once in seminary, uh, my professor of uh, pastoral theology said, hey, you know what's interesting that you guys should probably try to remember? Uh, Jesus never battles Satan. It's beneath him. He farms that out to Michael, right? Because when Jesus decides it's game over, it's just game over. There's no like wrestling, like, oh, I hope I win. I hope I can get the upper hand. No, he just speaks, He just says, you're done. You're finished. It's over. And that's the way that it is. And that's what happens right here. 
he speaks and he says, Lazarus, come out. That's it. There's no battle. It was just him speaking over four days of decomposition and death. Lazarus, come out. And in front of everybody, he did. Because that's the power that Jesus has. It's not a fair fight. There's really no fight at all. There's no kind of going toe to toe. The the way that this battle gets won, oddly enough, the way that this battle gets won is that Jesus lays down his life. He's going to give his life in exchange for Lazarus's life. He's going to give his life in exchange for everybody's life. Because it is better that one man dies. It's the exact statement of Caiaphas. And Jesus' death is the most overwhelming show of force that the world has ever seen. Try to imagine that. On the cross... As Jesus is suffering and dying and people are mocking him for his weakness, for his inability to do anything. He is displaying power that is unimaginable because he is gaining victory over death forever. And it is done. And it is finished Wouldn't it be great if there was a church named after an event like this? Hope of Christ. Hope of Christ. Well done. This is a name that we need to know when someone has died or when someone's diagnosed with cancer or when someone is dealing with a child that's that's gone away. Where where am I going to hope? Where am I going to go? I I love them, but I'm feeling confusion and fear and I've got a little bit of hope and anger and grief and I'm powerless. Where am I going to go? Go to Christ. He experiences all those same things, but differently. And he's powerful enough to do something about it. And he has, in fact. Little tidbit of knowledge for you. What ends up happening to Lazarus? He died again. And Jesus did not raise him from the dead this time on the earth. Every single person that Jesus dealt with, every single person that Jesus healed in front of many died. And they stayed dead in the tomb in the flesh. But... As Jesus says in this passage, those who believe in me will never die. This is not a kind of sickness that leads to Lazarus's ultimate death. No, Lazarus will live. To show you that I have the power to raise people from the dead, I'm going to do it right now in the flesh in front of you. Is proof that I'm going to do it for every single one of you who believes in me. I will raise you on the last day. And if you die, you will be present with me immediately. Immediately. Lazarus is dead. 
He is with Jesus. Ilona is dead. She is with Jesus. We will all die. Those of us who are in Christ will be with Jesus. Do you know why? Because he is risen. He is risen. He is risen. Let's pray. Father in heaven. Thank you that the gap between our humanity and Christ's humanity and divinity is so enormous that we cannot comprehend it. But that it is so real that he experiences what we experience. And so, Father, thank you that even though death does not pass over those who Jesus loves, we thank you that death is not the end for those who Jesus loves. That we are with you. That we will be with you in fullness. And that you have shown again and again that through your Son, you will raise us from the dead. In Christ's name, amen.